Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Jason Tyndall's my Zara Tyndall. It's Justin Peach. Sorry, I can't. <laughs> wow. <laughs> what a comparison, eh? Uh, Justin, last time we spoke, you had a poorly toe. Uh, how is that toe now? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Trapped it under the door, didn't I? Yeah, no, it's fine. It's blue, but it's fine. I'm all good. Good, fantastic. Quality content here on the Second Tier <laughs> Podcast. Uh, we're joined on the show today by Phil Catchpole from the Wiccan Podcast, Ringing the Blues. Phil, are you well? I'm very good, thank you. Yeah, good to be back on the show. Thanks for having me. No problem. Also with us is Ben Rowley from the Stoke Podcast, the YYY Fowls. Ben, how do you do? Oh, guys, all good. All my toes are in one piece. That's good news. <laughs> good stuff. Uh, you are listening to the biggest championship-specific podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. We'll go through all the games from the past weekend in the championship, have some of the news, including transfer news, and then we'll finish off with the Simon Grayson hateful eight. So we'll start off with a goal fest at the Brentford Community Stadium between Brentford and Wickham. It finished 7-2 to the Bees. Ivan Tony getting a hat-trick. We think. It's not 100% clear whether he got one of the goals or not. Uh, but either way, it was a thumping win for the Bees. However, it might surprise people to know in the first half, it was quite an even game, wasn't it, Phil? Yeah, the first half was um, a real eye-opener. Wickham really gave a good account of themselves and perhaps a little bit unfortunate, only to be going in level at the break. I thought they, they perhaps could have uh, gone in ahead. Um yeah, they really dug in um, in that first half. It was a really good performance and they kind of rattled Brentford a bit and, you know, chatting to the, the Brentford media guys that were the game yesterday at half-time and they were quite fearful because I think they worried about Wickham and, and teams who are a bit physical and, and kind of get on the front foot with them. They they tend to struggle um, in games like that. They drew nil nil at Adams Park in the early on in the season and they were, they were worried at half-time. Um, turns out they didn't really need to be worried at all but um, the first 45 <laughs> minutes was pretty good Yeah, Uchik Piazzu's goal was lovely uh, What went wrong in the second half then? Um, I think a whole number of things really um, I think the, the thing that you know, one of the things that I will criticise Wickham about is, is they're constantly complaining about refereeing decisions and yes, they've been on the end of some really bad ones but I tell you what ask any club in the country whatever level and they will tell you about refereeing decisions that haven't gone their way. Um, the penalty decision to go to 4-2, yes, it was a ludicrous decision, but they lost their heads at that point um, and they can't do that. Perhaps it's just a way of deflecting um, pressure, but I think Wickham just need to suck it up a bit with the referees and just concentrate on what they can do really themselves um, because it's the same old story, Ryan. They make mistakes in defence and they get punished. They certainly get punished when you play in Brentford because they have got so much quality. Um, but saying that, um, the COVID break they've had. It was the first league game they've had in 28 games. Um, they look really leggy at the end of the game as well, which is understandable due to the training uh, regime. And also we had Jason McCarthy at left back who has, he's not left footed at all. Uh, he hasn't played a lot of football. And I think what we all learned yesterday was that he's not a left back and uh, he was up against Josh De Silva, which if you're out of position, He's not that great. And Darius Charles, who's been magnificent for Wickham Wanderers, he's a, an absolute gentleman and a lovely guy. Um, but I think he's struggling with the step up from the championship by not having a lot of regular football. Um, so the left side of our defence was particularly weak and Brentford really took us apart on that side. Yeah, the result leaves Wickham on 15 points at the bottom of the table. Uh, now 11 points from safety. And unfortunately, you're starting to be cut adrift a bit now, aren't you? Yeah, that's it. We've got a couple of games in hand against people, but when you've only won three games all season, you, you tend not to get too much uh, hope into those games in hand. 
look, Brentford was always going to be a bit of a free hit. Um, it's It, it kind of hurts when you lose 7-2. Um, Tuesday night against Birmingham is a big game. Then it's Forest. And there's I think the next six games are all teams in the bottom half of the table. And that's where Wickham, if they're going to have any hope at all of staying up, they have to get a decent return of points in these next six games. And hopefully with a bit of fitness, Ryan Safazoli coming back, Uchik Piazu continuing in this fantastic vein of form. Now he's match fit, finally. Um, if, those all, if, that, if that can all come together, then Wickham might be able to make a good fist of it in the second half of the season. Yeah. Have you got a baby crying at the background? I'm so sorry. Yeah, he's only six months. So. <laughs> it's all right. He's, he's equally ups- as upset about the game as well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Brentford are now 18 games unbeaten. It's the 10th longest unbeaten run in championship history. They're two points off the top two with a game in hand. They're looking like they're going to be hard stop at the moment, don't they, Justin? They are. They are absolutely rolling. And they, they had an edge about them, especially in the second half of this game. And I've got zero doubt that it was down to the frustration against Swansea. I think the worst thing that happened to in this game to Wicked was they were scoring just before half-time. I think that just gave Frank a, a, a well, any excuse to get into the players. Uh, bringing Yano on as well, I think, helped. And, um, you know, Tony's going to get the plaudits for his hat-trick, but Canos was on fire. His crosses for the first two goals, he won the penalty and his goal itself was 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 superb. And it's just a, a nice summary of the Brentford side at the moment is these players are stepping up. I think you could say anyone in that Brentford side played well yesterday. They were yeah. all fantastic, weren't they, in the second half particularly. Uh, Huddersfield v Stoke, a meeting between two of the most out-of-form teams in the Championship at the moment. Huddersfield were on a run of four straight losses, while Stoke had recorded just one win in 10 league games. Well, it finished one all, despite Stoke playing the entire second half of 10 men after Reese Norrington-Davies was sent off. Did you think that was a red card, Ben? There's a lot to unpick with that one, I feel. Um in in his defence, he gets the ball early, really quite early. I want to say a good half second before the actual collision with the player. Um, his foot seems to slide over the top of the ball after getting it. So it's quite unfortunate how his foot sort of lifts over the ball afterwards. And like I say, Bakuna was sort of stood there like rabbit in the headlights waiting for Norrington Davis to come crashing into him. Having said that, when he went into tackle, both feet were off the ground. He came in at relatively good pace and he catches Bakuna in a really nasty way really yeah well he got the ball but he also seemed to get the Huddersfield players knees uh, which isn't great yeah. either <laughs> yeah. um, I imagine considering you were down to 10 men for so long and also because of your recent form you were fairly happy with the result and not least because Huddersfield started the game really really well scoring after what five minutes and they played well really really well up until we scored our penalty which came out I don't want to say from out of nowhere Jack Clark did well to win it um, but then after we scored the penalty we had a couple of chances and we really could have took the lead by half time the red card changed everything and you're right we did well to defend I think we deserved a point in the end because we defended really well uh, they did hit the bar uh, some point in that second half but this is Stoke season, isn't it, really? They've been defending ever so well. They've got some good defenders at the back, both experienced and coming through. But ever since Campbell, and I'm sure you'll come on to that, we just lack anything up front. Yeah. Um, Campbell getting injured has really changed your season, hasn't it? And Would you say that's been the thing that's gone wrong recently for Stoke, missing him so much? Because it's just one win out of your last 11 league games now. Has, he, has his uh, injury really cost Stoke that much yeah like like uh, completely um it, it doesn't help that we've not had people like Stephen Fletcher has been out for a couple of months uh, Lee Gregory's been out for a couple of months Nick Powell as soon as Stephen Fletcher came back yesterday was injured with a hamstring injury um we've had we signed people like Ravi Matondo Jack Clark Matondo and Clark need time to bed in and unfortunately if we were going to push for promotion that's not something that we had time for. We didn't have time to let these 21-year-olds bet into the team. So we, we, we've we taken the price of losing a player who was banging form, so confident, scoring all our goals, getting all of our assists. And the creativity has just been sapped from us. I'm, I'm not as disappointed in the fact that I, I'm hesitant to say that we're going to be pushing for playoffs. I think our season's going to fizzle out March time, to be honest with you. But I'm more disappointed in that you know, during a time where fans aren't allowed to go to the stadium and match days have been completely stripped back to results and performances, Stoke have been so 
bad to watch. And that's through no fault of their own particularly. Yes, we really need to sign a striker before the deadline. I don't think that'll happen. But by God, it's a really <laughs> testing experience watching Stoke right now. And I'm glad you guys don't have to do that on a regular basis. <laughs> Uh, well, just did Huddersfield's first point in five games, they didn't help themselves with some of the mistakes at the back, did they? No, uh, I actually went into a lot of detail trying to find how many costly errors Huddersfield have made leading to goals and no surprise, it's the league's highest with six. Um, and it, it's maddening for Huddersfield because of the style of football they play, it's it's really good to watch. But when you make cock-up after cock-up after cock-up... They don't get anywhere, clearly, because this would have been a result for Huddersfield had it not been for that. Um, Saar didn't need to stretch for the tackle. He was falling backwards. So him sticking out his leg is the most ridiculous thing for a defender to do in that situation. And as I said, it just summed Huddersfield up nicely that to allow the opposition back into the team, they had to give them a chance to do it. I suppose when you play the way they do, they are going to make a few mistakes at the back, aren't they? Six um, is quite a lot. <laughs> six is quite a lot, in fairness. <laughs> uh, ben and Phil, thanks for now. We'll come back to you both a bit later on when we play Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. But for now, me and Justin are going to take you on a road trip around the grounds. And we'll start off with a game from Friday night between Reading and Bournemouth, which finished 3-1 to the Royals. Alex Everson's from the Reading podcast Elm Park Royals. And Alex, Reading looked absolutely fantastic on Friday night, didn't they? To be able to go 3 0 up against them by half time whilst really dominating the game at both ends of the field was uh, just fantastic to watch. And I think it proves that we're one to look out for in the second half of the season. We're, we're looking up now rather than down. And neither, I mean, Bournemouth just never looked like they were even able to compete on Friday night with us. Uh, and that's the second time this season where we've really just taken it to them in the first half and pretty much run them over. Yeah, in terms of results, Reading started the season brilliantly and then they went on a bit of a sticky patch. But recently, they seem to be playing better than they have been all season. Would you agree with that? I think earlier in the season, it's probably fair to say, looking back, that we were lucky in a couple of games or perhaps we weren't playing to the top of our performance levels. Um, that spell in November, when we were struggling to pick up points without uh, Zhao, or Mate in the side, and it was it was clear that having Bullock up top was a real pain point for us in terms of creating enough chances for him. Uh, but since Zhao's come back into the side, um, we look a completely different side, and we we're creating chances up top. We're very very solid at the back, uh, despite the fact that Yeardom and Moore have both been out for a significant amount of time now. McIntyre has really stepped up and. His performance on, on Friday night was incredible. Just total man of the match performance and, and to cap it off with a goal was, was fantastic for him. Yeah, you've got some tricky games coming up, but the way you've been playing recently, you've got nothing to fear really, have you? Yeah, our next two Stoke away and then Brentford at home and, and we discussed it on our, our podcast uh, on Friday night around it's very difficult to be afraid of anyone currently. Stoke are not on great form and, and Brentford, yes, while they're, whilst they're winning games, they haven't really put many teams up to the sword, except for Wickham on Saturday, obviously. But I don't think that we should be afraid of Brentford by any means. Uh, and then after that, we do have a little bit of a, a kind of patch, I think, after that. We'll uh, play a couple of mid-table teams. And if we can get through Stoke and Brentford and pick up points in both of those games, then I really think we set ourselves up very nicely to, to make a run at potentially even getting second spot at the end of the season. Cheers, Alex. Yeah, Reading were excellent. Absolutely superb. And we'll talk about them in a sec. But Bournemouth didn't help themselves with how they defended in the first half. The three goals they conceded were shocking. It was like <laughs> watching a Sunday league side who had been out drinking the night before. We'll just quickly go through them. And the first one hits Chris Meppin. He gets confused about where the ball is and Josh Lawrence just pokes it home. That was bad. Then the next one, Michael Elise has a free kick. And it is a terrible free kick. If Bournemouth could have chosen where Elise was going to put it, they would have chosen right there. But Asmir Begovic in goal decides, I must parry this tamely struck shot, which has been hit straight at me as well. I must pass. I must parry this straight into the path of a Reading player. And Tom McIntyre says thank you very much and tucks it home. And then the third goal from Lucas Zhao is brilliant. The turn, the finish, excellent. But Bournemouth decided to leave one of the league's top goal scorers unmarked, 20 yards out from goal, and Steve Cook got turned completely inside out. It's it's shocking because this side a month ago was looking like the best in the in the division in every department, Justin, but 
like a switch. They just seem to have gone bad. And it's not just this game. It's been the last few now. They seem to be getting worse, don't they? It has literally been like a switch mm. because they, as you say, they were looking very good. And we, you know, we had our um, episode a few weeks ago where we thought Bournemouth were the team that were going to improve. Um, and since then, they've got worse. And as you say, they, I thought they were just flat out terrible. The defending, as you mentioned, was was a, a joke, really. From a team of their quality, yeah. it was a bit of a joke. And um, I don't think you'll see more static defending from a side this season than the first two goals. Um, yeah, it just it just summed it up. I think static is a very good way of explaining it because they were so flat-footed for all three of the goals, really. But let's not take anything away from Reading. They took Bournemouth apart here. They're now unbeaten in five in the league and are currently sitting in fifth place in the table early in the season. You'll remember how Reading were top of the league and I didn't think they'd stay there because... Uh, They were winning games after creating just a few chances per game. And I was sceptical about them even finishing in the playoffs unless they created more chances per game. And after a dodgy November, they've slowly but surely improved when it comes to creating chances. And recently, they really look like a side which deserves to be in the top six. And I'm fine with admitting that. I haven't got an (laughs) anti-Reading bias, as people on Twitter seem to think. I just call it like I see it. Earlier in the season, they did deserve to win as many games as they were But recently, they have been playing like a playoff side. And if they carry on playing like they have been, then they're on course for a place in the top six. It does also help that none of the teams outside the top six look like crashing the party at the moment. But Justin, would you agree, Reading are looking like a playoff side right now? I've I've maintained this thought all season. Um, In amongst your narrative, I've I've maintained the thought that Reading, for me, do look very assured as 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 a playoff side. Uh, I think Josh Laurent was one of the, the ones that stood out. Obviously, he got his goal, but his partnership with uh, Andy Rinomoto is, is fantastic. It's one of the best midfield partnerships in the league. And I've said in the past that uh, about Neil Warnock and Neil Warnock's sides that have been promoted is they have great midfield partnership partnerships. And this, this for me, is, is no different. They, they work hard, they win the ball back, and they, they allow Reading to control the game without having the ball. And they let players like Ajaria, Swift, Elise, they let those players play how they want to play which as we've seen and, and Zhao as well as we've seen it's it's allowing Reading to be a team with a bit of swagger going forward which when was the last time we said that I don't I can't remember a team a Reading team being this good going forward or when they go forward um probably since Steve Koppel's era it's 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 remarkable how Poundovich has got the best out of every single player in that squad Yes, fair point. Swansea is still second after beating Rotherham 3-1. Conor Hurahan amongst the goals. Tom Morgans from Total Swans TV. It was fairly comfortable in the end, wasn't it, Tom? Yeah, a very hard-fought victory on the road, to be fair for the Swans. Um, Rotherham didn't make it easy for us, which was expected, given their uh, midweek uh, excellent win against Borough. Um, so we definitely expected a, a, you know, a very difficult, uh, well-drilled Rotherham game. Uh, and that is exactly what the Swans experienced, uh, especially through large spells of the game. Uh, the Swans took the lead through a well-worked goal. They made changes at halftime, um, bringing on Ladapo and Giles, and that really did change the game. Um, Rotherham come out in the second half with a sort of different dynamic, different attitude to the game. Got their goal back and very, very nearly got the equaliser. Um, but again, uh, a great substitution, uh, timing and decision from Steve Cooper, bringing on Jay Fulton, uh, who got a goal literally 15, 20 seconds after stepping onto the pitch. So a hard-fought win, but yeah, um, a very comfortable win in the end. Swansea have been in impressive form throughout the season, but they've been in particularly impressive recently with 17 points from the past 21 games. Has that shone through onto the pitch? Uh, certainly since Hurahan uh, has come in, we've, we've looked a different sort of shape. Um, he's taken over on set pieces, um, which allows Matt Grimes, uh, relieves Matt Grimes uh, of those duties, thankfully, because he wasn't really the best at uh, corners or free kicks, let's be honest. Um, so it's relieved Matt Grimes. He's given him a new creative freedom in front of the box on set pieces. So that sort of thing um, has adapted our game. But uh, as far as how we've been looking, 
Um, whether we've been pretty on the pitch or not, um, we've been grinding out results, which we know at the top of the table, if you want to maintain pace with everyone, you just can't lose games, um, which is sort of what we're doing at the moment. You know, we drew at Brentford. Thankfully, we didn't play them yesterday, um, but we drew at Brentford midweek. Uh, again, another good victory on the road against Rotherham. Uh, I think we're uh, nine unbeaten, seven unbeaten in the league. So we're on good form. We're, we're doing well. We're keeping the pace. Um, we just need to maintain what we're doing, focus on ourselves, as Cooper keeps reiterating. Yeah, and you're still sitting in the top two as it stands. If there was going to be any reason why Swansea weren't to get promoted this season, what would you say would be the main reason why? If that unfathomable, unthinkable sort of situation occurred, I don't want to think about it right now. Because <laughs> we're in a good position, we're sitting nice, we're, we're doing good. Um, teams really struggle against us, so we're doing a great job. The only thing that I think um, would really be our downfall and possibly cost us promotion would be injuries. Uh, if we picked up any major injuries to first team players, um, we'd really struggle. Our, our strength in depth isn't great. Um, we had some decent players on the bench which could you know, come on and make an impact. Uh, we're looking likely to be bringing in an attacker, a youngster from Derby. So we need strength in depth. Um, we don't really have strength and quality in depth. So if it was going to be anything, I really do think it would be uh, a serious injury likely to somebody like Jamal Lowe, Andre Ayew, Hurahan, so somebody of that sort of mentality and an and attacking threat, um, I think probably could do us some damage this season. But touch wood, uh, nobody does get injured, no one's at, nobody uh, has any issues and we can maintain this good form uh, and push on for, uh, who knows, automatic promotion uh, is looking likely, but you know we're 10 points clear of the playoffs at the moment, so that's, that's looking like a guarantee every week. Cheers, Tom. Yeah, all three goals for Swansea were things of beauty, really, weren't they? Connor Hurahan with a lovely finish where he's cut across it and it's just flew into the bottom corner. Matt Grimes with a bullet from outside of the box. And then Jay Fulton's, well, I'm not I'm not really sure what he's done. The cross has come in and he's done like a little pirouette and backheeled it in. It was amazing, nonetheless. But the Swans just keep swanning along, don't they, Justin? <laughs> yeah, they do. And they, and they do it very, very well. I thought they were a tad fortunate in midweek, but they came into this game with a bit of, uh, I guess, a new lease of life and they needed to. And I think the goal as you said, the, the quality of the goals was, was fantastic. And one thing I want to sort of shine a light on was the, the quality of the assist from Jan Dander. Jamal Lowe played the ball into Dander and the touch from Dander set Hurahane up perfectly. Um, and that's the quality they have in the side. And as, as we're seeing as well, the influence of Hurahane coming into this team is almost changing, not changing the way Swansea play, but there's a bit more emphasis on going forward. He's got ability in passing, shooting and crossing. He's, he's an all-round midfielder and he's, he's, he's completed that that um, midfield that Swansea have. Mm. In fairness, Rotherham did have a few chances and if they managed to put any of them away, then this game could have been a lot different. Despite it being a loss, I'd call it an encouraging loss. Would you agree? I would. Um, I was thinking uh, just now that you know, if I was a Rotherham fan or you know, a member of the staff at Rotherham, I'd be incredibly frustrated because they didn't give away too many chances. It was maybe a tighter game than the scoreline reflected. And if it wasn't for two absolute beauties in the mm. first half this this might have been a different game and you know when you go two two goals down against Swansea who are the best de best defensive team in the league this is going to be a mountain to climb to try to cliche in there three points from safety but with two games in hand and most of the teams above them are Rotherham the team directly above them is Forrest who managed a nil-nil draw with Barnsley Rich Ferraro's from the Forest Ramble on the face of it would you say this is a good result Rich? I guess it depends on how you look at it Ryan um, in the current climate with no fans the home advantage thing isn't really as strong as it used to be so in the olden days I guess a nil-nil draw at home to Barnsley you'd be saying well we need, really needed to win that um, and I think it's another case where if we had fans in the ground I think we might have done um, the fans might get the underperforming players to get that extra 10% which means that they're putting in an acceptable performance level to actually making the big chances count and we saw that with Graben for example we saw that with uh, Knockart and Amiobi so um, having said that of course Barnsley probably should have had a penalty and they brought the best save out of the match um, from Herbie Kane uh, it was a great save by Bruce Samba so overall we'll take a nil-nil Barnsley look like a team who are more likely to win it towards the end 
Fair enough. Uh, Rich, I've been looking on social media and I've seen a few Forest fans calling for Chris Hewton to be sacked. Uh, What's behind that? Well, I've also seen loads of people on Twitter saying that coronavirus is a hoax and actually uh, it's worth putting British fish ahead of the rest of the UK economy. So make of that what you will. Um, People have opinions and they're allowed to express them. Uh, Has Hewton done a job that we hoped he would? Not really. But actually, if you look at the context, the historical context of what's happened at Forest over the last uh, eight to nine months, and you look at how Hewton has performed, for example, most notably at Brighton, um, maybe it's not that big a surprise that we're not doing so well. Having said that, this is not a situation of Hewton's making. Uh, The club had what I can only describe as a massive brain fart with their recruitment over the summer. Signing 14 players was, well, 13, 14 players was unnecessary. And did it make the squad stronger? No, it didn't. It made us weaker. And that's not Hewton's fault. And he's trying to find ways to remedy that. I don't agree with all his selections. It seems odd that certain players do get the nod. Uh, I'm not naming any names right now, but (laughs) prompt me. Give me a go. Well, this is exciting. Uh, Let me guess, is he a defender? Well, you really obviously know who I'm talking about there, don't you, Ryan? Um, Having said that, Toby Figueredo, um, when he plays all right, what I like about him uh, historically for Forrest is uh, he's a head at kick at centre-half. And when he does all right, he does that well. This season, he hasn't had that kind of consistency. So he's either really terrible or pretty good. Um, So, yeah, he's one of them. But it has to be said, I don't understand why Graben is an automatic name on the team sheet. You look at the way that he approached that one-on-one when clean through yesterday, um, he just never really looked like scoring. You look at the fact he kept, stayed in an offside position when um, Knockart put him through. Now, should Knockart have shot himself? Yeah, he probably should. But should Graben have stayed onside? Yeah, of course he should. And... Graben's body language has been a problem throughout his career and it doesn't look great when he's the captain and he hasn't scored a goal in open play for about six months. I think there are quite a few Forest players at the moment who you could say are low on confidence but if I could play devil's advocate for a sec shouldn't that be down to the manager to try and give these players confidence? Well yes of course uh, there's an element there but also Graben is the senior professional. Um, It's one of those things whereby You just wonder, there's that talk of him leaving and everything, you wonder what's going on behind the scenes. And I think in that sense as well, the the criticism that's levelled of Hewton is that his team selection is very conservative. He is somebody who will stick with the core of what he knows. And it meant that, for example, young Alex Mighton had to wait a long time for his chance. Um, He kept picking Figueredo, even though Loic Mbeso is on the bench and he's not looked bad in the matches that he's played. Um, Mbeso is actually like the fourth choice centre-half. We've got Michael Dawson still sitting on the bench, who, although he's old, we know what he can do as a defender. But Hewton will stick with that same core of players, rightly or wrongly. Um, tactically as well, there's an accusation he's quite rigid. But again, you know, we've seen that with pl- plenty of managers. Um, we can't all play like Brentford. <laughs> so, you know, reality check there and reality check that we can't play like Brentford with the players that we've got. We've still got that problem of horrendously unbalanced squad. Um, it'll be interesting to see how many of those players are still there come September this year. Cheers, Rich. Yeah, really interesting stuff from him there. Amazing how a team can lose one in eight and it still feels like the alarm bells are ringing at the city ground. Um, The most interesting thing you mentioned there was confidence. And I think it is something we have mentioned a couple of times this season. The likes of Graben, Nokiart, these are all players who, when they are high on confidence, they are amongst the best in the championship, quite frankly, aren't they? But they all seem to, at this very moment in time, be quite low on confidence. And we saw that with the Nokiart grabbing disallowed goal where Nokiart decided he didn't want to take the chance on his own and Graben drifted offside. So, as I say, Forest are side lacking confidence at the moment, aren't they? Compare them to teams that are below them, like the likes of Rotherham, Derby, um, they, even Sheffield Wednesday, their teams that are picking up points, they're playing well. Um, and you can see that in the in the games that they're playing, they are a lot more comfortable than than Forest are. And as you say, it is a confidence thing. I don't think Forest have been a confident side 
since middle of last season under under Lamushi. They've they've struggled since, and I know they they went up into the automatic places after that Leeds win. But yeah, I just don't think they've been able to build on that, and it's starting to show now. It's seeping in, and there's a lot of good players at Forest. Big wage bill. You can tell there's pressure there. We were just talking with Rich a second ago, and he was. Uh, well, we briefly chatted about how some Forest fans want Hewton out. Um, again, <laughs> this is uh, something that seems to rear its head every so often. It is ridiculous, though, isn't it, that people are pointing the fingers at Hewton when really you've got to look at the business and just how the club's being run, really. Yeah, we'll, we'll go into more depth on transfers um, once we cover it in the news, but the recruitment at Forest is a joke. It's a complete joke. Um and it's as I say, we'll go into a bit more detail, but you know the likes of Bong, um, Samba, uh, they they weren't Hutton signings. What we're seeing now is Hutton bringing in his own players in Kravinovic, you know James Garner as well. You know, Judge Hutton once once he's got his own team out there, not Lamouches or the manager before that or the manager before that. Quite a few managers as well. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, Barnsley have now drawn more games in the last six days than in their previous 20 games, which is an impressive stat. Right, Justin, let's have a break. After that, we'll talk about wins for Wednesday, Derby and a draw between Norwich and Middlesbrough. I tell you what, there's nothing I love more than a classic football shirt. I've got loads of them. A Juventus shirt, Marseille shirt, even an Antalya Sport shirt. One of the reasons I've got so many is because I can get them for a great price from ClassicFootballShirts.co.uk. They've got shirts for teams from all over the globe, and that of course includes championship clubs. So if you wanted a classic Wednesday shirt, Reading shirt or Barnsley shirt, whoever you support, they'll have something for your club. It's not just shirts either, they've also got track suits, baseball caps, socks, so much stuff. Have a look for yourself. Go to classicfootballshirts.co.uk right now. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. We saw history at Hillsborough as Liam Palmer scored his first goal in nine years for Wednesday as they beat Preston 1-0 but it means Alex Neal's side have won one in five Jimmy Atkinson is from the Preston podcast from the Finney it seemed like Wednesday deserved the win here Jimmy Hi Ryan yeah game of two halves to be honest with you um, I thought we were on top of the game until the goal comes from us losing possession in the middle of the park for the long throw which to be honest troubled us all game I think the goal changes the game um, we've had a couple of chances in the first half, but I don't think either keeper's really been tested in a great deal, to be honest with you. Um, I think both keepers have made only probably one save during the game. I think a draw would probably have been a fair result, probably a nil-nil as well, because I don't think either team did enough to win the game. It was definitely a game that was lacking real attacking qualities. The inconsistencies of teams in the Championship this season's pretty obvious to see in this game, and it's not one that you'd probably put on any sort of highlights package in the near future. Yeah, you could say that again. <laughs> um, let's talk about transfers because Preston have been the busiest club in the transfer window by far. Um, we'll start with the outs first. Ben Pearson and Darnell Fisher both leaving the club. How disappointing is it to see them go? I think whilst it's been um, a little bit of a disappointment, it comes as no, no surprise to us as fans. Um, both players are out of contract. At the end of the season, Ben Pearson expressed his desire to leave for a new challenge, which after five years here, you can't really blame him. And Donald Fisher hadn't been offered a new contract. As fans, we expected both to leave. I think we expected one of DJ and Alan Brown to leave as well. So we're quite glad that we've tied them down to new deals. But losing quality players like Donald Fisher and Ben Pearson is obviously a blow. Looks like we're bringing in players to replace Pearson in, in Ben Whiteman whilst it's not a light-for-light light replacement you can see how we're playing now is is different compared to how it's been over the past couple of years we do need to replace Darnell in all honesty Alan Brown has filled in there at right back over the past couple of games and I hope he gets a run there um, to be able to convert his role into being a right back long term but I don't know if it's sustainable for him you know he's probably better further up the pitch but we'll wait and see on that front and then the incomings, Jimmy, Whiteman, Everson, Evans, Malumbi. Uh, there's probably another one in there who I've forgotten. But uh, uh, what have you made of the incomings? 
Yeah, I think it's been a much needed window to be honest with you we've only brought in two players in the previous two windows so this window is always going to be about strengthening the keeper Everson from Leicester looks a real prospect looks very good if you told me in December we'd be signing Ben Whiteman I'd have absolutely snapped your hand off I'm amazed we've still got him um, real quality player Jason Malumbi again you can tell why Millwall had him in such high regard and why they wanted to sign him permanently in the window um, just glad we got him in on loan looks very energetic um, Chad Evans hasn't really kicked a ball yet I think he's played less than 15 minutes so tough to really judge that as a signing and then brought in Greg Cunningham on well late last week um, obviously returning from Cardiff on loan for the rest of the season looks like a permanent deal will be done as well um, looks like there's going to be a bit more movement over the next sort of 36 hours before the deadline as well so quite excited really Cheers Jimmy yeah busy boys in the transfer window or old Preston surprisingly They'd have been three points off the top six had they won yesterday, which is amazing because every time we talk about them, they seem to be in a bad run of form. But there you go. I suppose the best explanation is they are the kings of inconsistency in this league, aren't they, Justin? They are. And um, it's, it's, it's a strange one. I think this game is exactly what you come to expect from Preston. You know, they've got new signings in. They're not had time to bed in. Alan Brown's at right back. It's all just it's all just very pressing at the moment, and you know I think pressing funds might <laughs> might agree with that a little bit. Um, uh, you know, the, uh, there's a lot that needs to happen for Preston for them to to progress, uh, and I think that they are now very much in a transition period, and that's reflected in in the squad. As I say, they sell the right back and their captain, and probably the best midfielder is shoehorned in there. So I'd agree with that. I think it definitely is a transition period when you lose two key players in the likes of. Pearson and Darnell Fisher um, they're two massive players and fair play they've managed to keep hold of Johnson and Brown but these other signings they've got to have time to bed in it is kind of like a changing of the guard and mm-hmm. Ben Davis is another player who still might be heading out the door yeah so there's a lot of change uh, as we've <coughs> mentioned plenty of times over the past month during the uh, transfer window at Deepdale but it is a massive win for Wednesday who would have been seven points from safety had they lost here they're giving themselves a fighting chance of staying up, aren't they? Even even though they still haven't got a permanent manager. If they did have a permanent manager, I'd be feeling a lot more hopeful for them. Yeah, I know. I said in the week as well that who in the right mind would want this job. And I stand by it. And that's probably shown more so by the Chancellor's comments in the week. But what I will say is just give it Neil Thompson until the end of the season. He's been their best manager this season. Hands down, uh, he's, he's, and he's the third one as well. Six games, four wins. It's four wins at home on the trot, back to back clean sheets. It's massive progress for Wednesday under him. They're not, they're not a very good team, but they're getting results under him, which is by f- by far, you know, ahead of Pulis and, and and Gary Monk. So it's the easy decision to make. Give it Thompson till the end of the season. It just makes sense. How many wins has he got? Four. He's got four four wins out of six. Yes. So he's got more wins than Pulis and Monk put together so far this season, which is not bad going, is it? Uh, also, so great to see Liam Palmer get a goal. There's nothing I love more than a player who never scores managing to get a goal. And when they celebrate, they have absolutely no idea what to do. <laughs> the uh, Doyle effect. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Derby made it three wins in three after beating Bristol City 1-0. Colin Cousin richards getting the goal, but the game was perhaps overshadowed by an injury to Christian Bielik, who was stretched off in the first half. We'll talk about that and what it could mean for Derby in a sec, Justin. But for Derby, it was a comfortable win, wasn't it? It was. David Marshall literally had nothing to do. I think he made one save, on the, uh, which was a shot from Mawson in the second half, and that was it. Um, it was a very quiet day for him, and that was partly down to Derby's shape and discipline off the ball, but also Bristol City's bluntness. They just had nothing. They had nothing to offer going forward, which is a massive surprise given the form that Jeju's in and some of the players that they've got as well. Mm. Lee Buchanan's cross for Derby's goal was superb. He practically served it on a plate. All it was missing was the salt and pepper. Uh, but the moment that could live long in the memory for Derby fans is Christian Bielik on the ground holding that right knee that kept him out for nearly a year. We still don't know the extent of the injury yet, but it did look serious. And if it is serious, then it's the worst possible thing that could have happened to Derby at the worst possible time. He has been so crucial to Derby's recent upturn in form, which has seen them climb away from the bottom three. And losing him could massively disrupt that. There's no underselling this. He has been by far and away Derby's best player this season. And I fear that 
if he is missing, then we could see the team go back to how it was playing in the first half of the season, with no one being able to take the game by the scuff of the neck and really dominate it. Let's hope the injury isn't that serious, not just for Derby's sake, but also for Bielik as well, because it must be incredibly frustrating for him to be out again after being out for so long. Um, let's talk about Bristol City, Justin, because they deserve a bit of criticism here don't they they were pretty poor as you mentioned Marshall in the Derby goal had pretty much nothing to do Dean Holden admitted after the game that Derby were much the better team and I think against a better side than Derby Bristol City could have been beaten quite badly they lacked any threat going forwards didn't they yeah this 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 game summed up Bristol City perfectly this season very quiet going forward Daniel Bentley the, the busiest Bristol City player they didn't play well, and as I say, they didn't test Marshall. Uh, the biggest criticism I've got is they didn't take advantage of Bielik be, uh, going off. No. They weren't as direct as they should have been either. The pitch was terrible. It's the worst pitch in the league you'll see this season. Um, generally, I think my Sunday league side plays on a better surface than that. Um, but they didn't play to it. They've got Jeju up front. There's a target man there. Play, 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 play into him. And then play off him. It's as simple as that. They got Jack Hunt, who I said in midweek on another podcast, he's one of the best crossers of the ball. Get the ball out wide. They didn't use the wide areas like Derby did. We saw with Buchanan's cross. There's just a lot going wrong for Bristol City, and I don't see it going right anytime soon. Let's give a bit of respect to your groundsman for your Sunday league team. I'm sure he tries really hard at his job. <laughs> um, but Bristol City are following a pattern of win-lose, win-lose at the moment. It's happened in the last seven championship games now. And they've got Brentford coming up next. So a shock on the cards, perhaps? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the leaders, Norwich. They were held to a 0-0 draw at home to Middlesbrough. For once... We're sat here saying Norwich were pretty poor going forwards. Marcus Bettinelli in the Borough goal literally didn't make a save all game. And I know Norwich were down to 10 men for the last 20 minutes after Emmy Brendier was sent off. But even then, they didn't particularly cause too many problems. Mario Vrancic had a good chance early on, but that was about it really, wasn't it? Yeah, Norwich, not poor. This game actually genuinely made me feel a bit bit rough. Because um... <laughs> <laughs> it was so boring. It, yeah, it was. It was. I, I, yeah, I turned around to him half and I said, "I feel like I've been here for three hours, and I feel terrible <laughs> for it." Um, and it was half time, so you know, forty-five minutes isn't three hours. It was. It was. It was a bad game, and I feel, as you say, Norwich were terrible. Puky uh, was awful. Um, Campwell didn't get into the game. That's down to Borough, though. That's which we'll move on to in a second. Yeah, they weren't. They weren't very good going forward, and. Um, it, it showed it was a boring game. <laughs> it, it wasn't great, it really wasn't. Considering Middlesbrough's recent form, three losses in four prior to this, I think Neil Warnock would have been happy with a point, really, even though they didn't oh, yeah. play too much either. He played for a point. Mm. He played for a point. He. The reason why I hated this game and both loved it at the same time is because watching Borough in the second half, I was just watching Darnell Fisher just follow Catmull everywhere. Mark Bowler following Buendia everywhere. It was... Weird watching it, and at no point did Norwich exploit the spaces those players were leaving, which was strange. But that's credit down to to, to Borough. You know, three defeats, a heavy a heavy defeat to Rotherham in, in midweek. Warnock was always going to keep it tight. He even said in his press conference that he's playing Balassi just to get up his match fitness. The season starts this week, <laughs> um, which summed it up. He didn't see his, it didn't see himself getting a result here. He did. They played well. Fair play. Yeah. New signings, as you mentioned, Yannick Bellassi and Darnell Fisher both played. Um, we'll talk about them a bit later on, just in, in the news. Um, interesting to see how Norwich would get on without Brendia for the next game as well. Blackburn won, Luton nil. Another game with very few chances, but Blackburn stole it at the death with Adam Armstrong getting the winner late on. It was a weird goal, though. A Luton player goes down after the ball hits him. Initially, I thought it hit him in the groin region um, but it, I, I'm not really sure where it hit him either way he's gone down and everyone stops which again I don't think I've ever seen happen before where a player gets hit with the ball and everyone just stops but there you go the referee gives Blackburn a drop ball which is played into the box Sam Gallagher heads it over to Adam Armstrong who then heads it home it's simple as that and uh, Nathan Jones was very annoyed with how the goal was conceded he said he was physically sick after the game, because Blackburn <laughs> didn't... I'm not sure if he was literally physically sick, but oh, uh, he felt physically sick. Um, because Blackburn created so little during the game, and then they shut off for one second, and 
they go and score. It, it, it must be very frustrating for Nathan Jones when they've worked so hard to get to that point in the game where they are drawing nil-nil away at a side who are chasing the playoffs this season and then mm-hmm. it all falls apart at last minute. Yeah, I'd say it definitely wasn't a classic and it was a close game, but it was edged out by a team with the, the most quality in it. You know, that's 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 the difference. You've got a team with a, with a striker who is... Uh, the third top scorer in the league, so you've got you've got to stay switched on throughout the whole game. And I'm not surprised that Nathan Jones was physically sick. I just got images in my head and <laughs> just throwing up as soon as he gets into the changing rooms. Um, yeah, I'm not surprised. <laughs> I've got this image now of the goal going in and then him just vomiting <laughs> as soon as he hits the back of the net on the sideline. <laughs> That's disgusting. Oh um, but Blackburn, they've subtly snuck up the table recently after three wins in four. Now just three points off the top six. And it seems like Tony Mowbray has shown more of a, win- a willingness recently to win ugly and grind out wins. Earlier in the season, they were the most entertaining team in the division, which is fine, but doesn't necessarily guarantee results. You've got to be flexible in the way you play. And Mowbray's really shown that and it's paying dividends now. I mean, look where they are, three points off top six. It's a brilliant turnaround after a sticky patch during December. And they've also been a lot better defensively recently. Darren Lenahan in particular has been playing out of his skin over the past month or so. At this moment, I think they're the side outside of the top six who are most likely to crash the party. Because they're great going forwards and now look a lot better at the back. Do you agree? Yes and no. Um they're just they become a very strange side. It's it comes down to whether or not they can beat teams in the top half for me. That does help, obviously, mm-hmm. um, and I, I'm not sure if it's something they've managed yet to do this season. It's hard to keep track of that stat, but playing better and grinding out wins against the top half teams is something they definitely need to improve on. Uh, we had the Battle of St Andrews as the landlords met tenants, Birmingham and Coventry. It finished one all. What did you make of the game, Justin? Um, well, I thought your quip then was much better than the game as a whole. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, it's been used by everyone. I'm not going to take credit for that one. Oh, fair enough. It's the first time I've heard of it, so take credit for it, Ryan. Uh, it, it was an incredibly balanced game, wasn't it? It was two sides that are closely true in the league, um, and they had the same amount of shots. There wasn't too much to take away from it. Birmingham City, again, home form, very poor. Um, they, they, It was... <laughs> I've truly interesting things to say about this game other than Ben Sheaf's feet for the goal was was great and the tackle from McCallum for for the penalty was was terrible. That that's it really. Yeah, the Coventry goal was good, wasn't it? BMU mm. played the ball down the line, which everyone thought was going out. Apart from was it Callum O'Hare who kept it in? I think it was. Yeah, he kept it in and then it eventually fell to Gustavo Hammer who put it away brilliantly. But Coventry now seven points above the bottom three. Birmingham's position in the table is looking very uncomfortable though. Derby's win meant they're now 20th and just four points above Rotherham who are 22nd. The big concern is that out of the teams from Coventry downwards, Birmingham are bottom of the form table, bar Wickham of course. I'd be very concerned right now if I was a Blues fan. Would you? I'd... I'd... I've said it a couple of times this season that Birmingham City out of that bottom bottom six are probably the team more likely to get sucked into a relegation battle. I mean, the bottom six are anyway, um, but Birmingham City don't have a lot going forward. Defensively, they've they've conceded really poor goals pretty much all season. The home form's non-existent. Um, the, it, it's a recipe for another relegation battle. And I said again a couple of weeks ago that this season might be the season. They've been scraping it season after season after season, staying up. It could be the season this season. Yeah, I don't think you can rule it out at all. It, it, the thing is, other teams seem to go, seem to have disastrously poor performances. You look at Derby, Forest, what have you. The, these teams um, have dreadful runs where Birmingham just seem to have been consistently below average all season and mm-hmm. they're almost sleepwalking into the bottom three at this rate. Uh, Cardiff won, Millwall won, the Neil Harris Derby. Actually, a fair few chances in this game, but seemingly had draw written all over it, didn't it? Anything you want to uh, put on this game? I was going to say, uh, neither team here was, was very good. Um, Mick McCarthy changed it to a, a three at the back. I think it was to match Millwall. Um, obviously, Keith Moore hit double figures. Uh, and I think the issue now for, for Mick McCarthy is he's got to eke the ability out of the rest of the team. Moore's top scorer with 10. Next is Rawls-Nojo with four reach. And that's that's clearly, clearly an issue for Cardiff. 
Um, they had three shots on target, six off, seven shots in the penalty area, but they only came away with one goal. So there's a lot to work on for Cardiff. I think if he can get um, more out of those players going forward, they can become a very tidy side, um, ready for him next season or whoever it's going to be. And finally, Watford and QPR, they're playing on Monday night, so we'll cover that game on Thursday. Let's do Who Knows Wins, Justin. This is our league where you can win money by correctly predicting the results of championship games. It's really easy to do. Just download the Who Knows Wins app, join our league, get the most correct results out of all the games in the championship. The more people involved, the bigger the prize. Uh, The pot size this week was £216, which is a chunky old sum, isn't it? And it was won by LUFC Ryan1993. He got eight correct results out of 11, which is not bad going at all. Well done to you, Ryan. Um, I came 45th, which is not bad <laughs> at all. Uh, let's go to the result, uh, the games coming up in midweek, Justin. We'll start off with the game on Monday night, Justin. Uh, that's Watford QPR. Which way you see that one going? I have to edge towards Watford, although I think QPR might get a result, but I edge towards Watford. I, I think Watford it will be the most popular pick there. Millwall Norwich. Uh, Norwich haven't got Brendia I think draw. I'm going to go draw <laughs> <laughs> Coventry Forest uh, Coventry I'll go draw Bournemouth Chef Wednesday draw oh, I've got to go Bournemouth Rotherham Derby draw massive game that isn't it I think I'll go Rotherham you know Wickham Birmingham uh Oh my god, <laughs> draw. You can't say no, you can't say draw again, <laughs> surely not. Oh uh okay, no, I'll edge towards Wickham. You know what? I fancy Wickham as well. Mm-hmm. And then finally on Wednesday night it's Brentford versus Bristol City. Brentford. Yeah, it's gotta be Brentford. Right, that's who knows wins. Make sure you join our league to win some big prizes. Now it's time for this. Yay, I actually remembered to play the news jingle this week. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it's time for news. Uh, Let's start off straight away with transfers because the January deadline is Monday night. So there's bound to be a lot more business happening after this podcast is recorded. We'll start with the big one, Justin. Ben Pearson. The shithouse Perlow has signed for Bournemouth from Preston. His deal at Deepdale was coming to an end in the summer. Big move that, isn't it? It is. It's an interesting one because he's a bit of Lerma and he's a bit of Lewis Cook. Because he can he can play with the ball and he's very good at tackling, um, so yeah, it is an interesting one. It's good depth for that Bournemouth midfield, and I think you know whether or not um, Tyndall tweaks his tactics to fit him in is another question. Yeah, we spoke about it a bit earlier with Jimmy from a Preston perspective, but for Bournemouth, I think this could be a real bargain. I mean, we are oh, talking yeah. about a guy who has been one of the best midfielders in the Championship for quite some time now. We all know he's not afraid of putting in a challenge, but <laughs> his ability on the ball is superb. He'll allow the likes of Lewis Cook to have a bit more freedom, really punish sides. And then the idea of those two in the same midfield just leaves me frothing at the mouth anyway. Uh, Darnell Fisher, he's also left Preston to go to Middlesbrough, but Preston have brought in their former left-back Greg Cunningham from Cardiff. Yannick Balassi has joined Middlesbrough on loan from Everton for the rest of the season. Interested to see how he does, because I can't even remember the last time we saw him playing well for a side, really. He must be back in his Palace days, but mm-hmm. don't get me wrong, he is a quality player on his day. And with Neil Warnock, he's got the perfect manager to try and help him get back to his best. You just have to look at what he's done with Duncan Watmore this season. Yeah. Balassi was playing as a striker at the weekend, but I hope that doesn't become a thing <laughs> because he's he's never really been much of a goal scorer, has he? But as a winger, he could prove to be a real smart bit of business by Borough. Yeah, this is this is quite a statement, but with the ball at his feet and his ability to take players on, I think he's better than Wilfred Zaha. Um, I think he was better in that Palace side. I think I think Zaha's got more about his game than Balassi, which is why Zaha's gone on to do what he's done. But I think in terms of individual ability or individual skill and flair and dribbling, I think Balassi edges him. Hang on, I'm the, I need a bit of time to process that. So, Balassi's better than Zaha on the I ball. I didn't say that, did I? On the oh, ball. Okay, on the ball, I think he is, yeah. In terms of dribbling and getting past players, I think Balassi is better. I mean, after an ACL injury, it might be ten. I might be a bit tentative on it, but I've always rated Balassi better with the ball at his feet than Zaha. Okay, 
I'm just going to leave that one there um, because I, we could spend a lot of time debating that. Um, I mean, it's not even much of a debate in my eyes, but there you go. Uh, Manchester United youngster James Garner has gone on loan to Forest after his spell at Watford was cut short. You're not particularly impressed with that move, are you? No, um, mainly from a, a not discrediting Garner, I think he's a very good player, but from a Forest perspective, one, it's another loan. That's six. You can only have five in a match day squad. <laughs> Cyrus Christie, Knockart, their first choice players. Cafu's only missed two minutes since the middle of December. Freeman and Krivinich are two more creative players. So who's who's being left out? Who's going home? What's going on? And also, what message does it send to Brendan Johnson, who's been playing out of his skin for Lincoln, who are second in League One? He's 19. He's the future, but Forrest bring in this, this young player who's of a similar age, maybe not as much first-team experience compared to Brendan Johnson either. It's just a strange one. I don't, I don't get it. You do make a fair point, in fairness. Um, Henry Lansbury, he's been signed by Bristol City on loan until the end of the season from Villa. Not sure about that one. I think Bristol City needs some creativity in midfield, but mm-hmm. it's been a long time since Henry Lansbury's pulled a penny trains. Surprised he's still only 30, though. That really shocked me. Um, Stefan Johansson's mm-hmm. gone to QPR on loan. The former Fulham midfielder joins on loan from West Brom. I'm a massive fan of that move. I really, really am. QPR have been lacking a player like Johansson for some time someone who can destroy attacks but also move the ball around I mean they've got the likes of Jeff Cameron and Dominic Ball but Johansson's simply a better player than them it's a superb move I think he's the perfect addition to this side and will help uh, hopefully help shore up QPR's rather leaky defence he's also very experienced at this level so that helps just in your wincing yeah I I, I don't I'm not a particularly big particularly big fan of it mainly because uh, in his West Brom loan spell he wasn't very good and at Fulham last season he wasn't very good either I think he's lost a bit of pace with his age and a couple of injuries as well which means going out and attacking I say attacking players going out and ball winning winning the ball um, not as effective as he used to be Fair enough Birmingham have let Michael Kiftenbeld go to Millwall permanently. Gary Rowett loves signing his old players, doesn't he? <laughs> Dwayne Holmes has left Derby to go to Huddersfield. This was quite interesting because Dwayne Holmes said in his interview <coughs> to Huddersfield after signing that when Derby played Huddersfield earlier in the season, he didn't want to play for Derby anymore, um, which is interesting. Um, I'm sure that made Derby fans really delighted to hear that. Bournemouth <laughs> defender Jack Simpson will join Rangers in the summer and Watford have signed ex-Newcastle goalkeeper Rob Elliott. He's not played a competitive game since 2018. But there you go. Away from transfer news, Championship legend Ashley Williams has announced his retirement. He's been a free agent since being released by Bristol City in the summer. Fun fact about Ashley Williams that I learned the other day. Um, he was pivotal in getting um, black players included in Subutio. Really? As a kid, yes. He wrote into them and um, I think he wrote into them and asked them to get it sorted, basically. So, wow, that's a great fact. Well done, Ashley Williams. What is it, 90 caps for Wales and he also managed to get black players, including Sabutio. There you yeah. go. What a man. Now, the Telegraph claims the government is likely to ban gambling companies from sponsoring football shirts next season. Half the teams in the championship have a gambling sponsor at the moment. I tweeted about this from the Secretary podcast account and it got a massive response. Everyone seems to be happy that this could be happening. Many people are pointing out the league is still called the Skybet Championship, though. Um, what do you make of it just now? I've never really known your thoughts on gambling advertisement. It is interesting. I think football does have a fairly unhealthy relationship with gambling, mm. um, mainly because of how prominent it is in when we watch TV, we get the mid-game match um, betting updates, etc. Obviously, the league's sponsored by it, which we'll go on to in a moment. Yeah, there's a lot to take in with it. Um, and a lot of football clubs rely on that income. I think it's easy income for them because gambling companies are so willing to to sponsor teams. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how they arrange an alternative sponsor because I don't think there's much appetite at the moment for sponsoring football clubs because of how tight financially everybody is, not just football, but the wider the wider world. I, I disagree in a way. I think if you do take gambling companies out of the advertisement equation, then there'd still be other companies who are more than willing to sponsor football clubs. I mean, as I say, half the teams in the championship don't have a gambling sponsor at the moment. So they might not pay as much as the likes of the gambling companies, but they'll still pay a fairly healthy amount. So 
I, I think I would be happy with this coming in. It, it is worth mentioning the elephant in the room and the fact that we've got a gambling company who's sponsoring us right now. Who knows wins? Um, and I do think it is a bit different in the way that with our audience, it is mostly adults who are listening. But mm. when you've got football, it is quite a lot of the audience will be kids, won't it? Yeah. And yeah, yeah. you don't want to be splashing advertisement all over the place as much as it is right now because it's unavoidable, isn't it? Even when you're just watching a game and you avoid adverts, it's on the advertising hoardings, it's on the shirts, it's everywhere. So mm. I think when it comes to something like this, it's taking steps to having gambling um, gambling companies splattered across the stadium, having going towards steps of having that taken out, I think it is something that needs to be done. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting debate about advertising in general because we we have it in all generations, whether it be unhealthy food as a child, or alcohol, or cigarettes, or gambling. Now you know, you know everything has got to adapt, uh, and I think gambling is heading towards that direction, which is which isn't a bad thing. Mm, it's a fair point. Has Derby's takeover been complete yet, Justin? No. No. But the Derby players have now been paid their full wages for December and also January, which is nice when people actually get paid for their work. And um, <laughs> Jonathan Woodgate is set to be appointed as first team coach at Bournemouth after Graham Jones left to go to Newcastle. Good to see Johnny Woody back in a uh, championship football. Let's do some polls, Justin, at the start of the show. On our Twitter, we give you three questions that we want to get your input in. The first question was, do you think the top six in the championship will stay as it is? Yes or no? I think it will. I'm on the fence in the way that I think the top six are better than the rest of the teams in the championship at the moment, but we are only halfway through the season and you can never rule out someone going on a really bad run of form. Having said that, all the teams outside the top six don't seem consistent enough to break into it. Um, 66% of people said no. 34% of people said yes. Should gambling advertisement be completely banned from football matches? Yes or no? Hmm. Yeah, maybe not completely banned, um, but certainly it's everywhere, so toned down, definitely. Restricted is a yeah. good way of putting it. 61% of people said yes. 39% said no. And what is your second favourite sport? Cricket, Formula One, golf or rugby? I don't have a second favourite sport. I did enjoy playing netball in uh, GCSE PE about 12 years ago. That was good. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, cricket got 39%. Formula One got 23%. Rugby got 25%. Golf got 13%. Golf for me. Love a bit of golf. Uh, other people said tennis, boxing, darts, esports. What? Um, <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, right, now it's time for this. Hi, Simon Grayson here. So this is Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Shout out to Simon Grayson, by the way, who's been appointed the Fleetwood manager today. Well done to him. Uh, welcome back to the show. Ben Rowley from the Stoke podcast, the YYY Files, and Phil Catchpole from the Wiccan podcast, Ringing the Blues. So I'm going to ask the boys here to name eight of a certain subject. All they've got to do is work together to name all eight. So, for example, if I were to say, name the eight most northern teams in the championship, and Justin would say Middlesbrough, that's one down, and Phil would say Preston, that's another down. But if Ben would say Bournemouth, then he'd be out. So what you need to do, gents, is give me all eight answers without all of you being eliminated. This one is nice and simple for you, chaps. Fourteen of the current Premier League teams have been in the championship since it became the Premier League. Can you name me the eight teams who have been in the championship most recently? Surely you'll walk this um we'll start off with justin who's thinking he's got his thinking face on put it that way uh justin which way are you going uh so it's yeah okay right i finally get it west brom yeah west brom promoted yeah. automatically last season uh ben sorry can you just repeat the question i'm i'm really not trying to buy time like what was the question again <laughs> <laughs> so 14 of the current premier league teams have been in the championship since it became the premier league can you name me the eight teams who've been in the championship most recently basically the eight right. teams who were promoted most recently okay. Sheffield United Sheffield United yeah promoted automatically a couple of seasons ago Phil you'll go uh, Fulham yeah promoted automatically well not automatically through the playoffs last season uh, so you've gone through three Justin it's back to you Leeds yep promoted automatically last season I thought you'd get the obvious one straight away it's a bit later on where you start trying to get trying to remember where teams got promoted. Uh, ben, it's your go. Huddersfield Town. 
Huddersfield Town, no. That might, oh. be, that might be down to me not wording the question very very well. <laughs> um, it's current Premier League teams. Uh, but either way, I'm going to take your answer because I'm cruel. Uh, Phil, your go. Uh, Villa. Yeah, promoted through the playoffs a couple of seasons ago. Now you've got three left and it's starting to get a bit tricky. Justin. I'm trying to think who went up, who won the league that season. Because we've had Sheffield United and we've had Villa from that from that season. Um, Christ, who won the league? Um, I can't remember. I'm going to go with Wolves, though. Yeah, promoted after smashing the championship in the 2017-18 season. Unsurprisingly, you've left the uh, two who are the least most recent, if that makes sense. Phil, it's your go again. I was going to go for Wolves. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Newcastle? Yes. Newcastle were promoted automatically in the 2016-17 season. So you've got one left. You've got two of you still going. Justin, can you name the final team? We've not had Brighton yet, have we? We haven't. Is that what you're going with? I'm going with Brighton. Yes, Brighton were promoted automatically in the 2016-17 season. So you have won at Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Phil, how do you feel? Uh, I think last time I played this, I did really badly. So at least uh, someone from Wickham has got something to smile about this weekend. (laughs) Ben, you were out, but are you proud of your teammates and how they got you through the game? I am, I am. And and last time I think I realised I needed to clear my mind when playing this game. This time I realised I need to actually listen to the question. So that'd help. I, I will take some of the uh, blame for that. I don't think I worded it particularly well. But there you go. Either way, you have won. And we have another victor at Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Well done, chaps. Well, that's just about it for us this week. We'll be back again on Thursday because we have got midweek games. So we'll see you all then. Otherwise, Phil Catchpole from the Ring in the Blues podcast. Thank you for your time today. Pleasure. Sorry about the baby. No, it's all right. Ben Rowley from the Stoke podcast, the YYY Files. Thank you for your time today. No worries, sorry about the football. (laughs) (laughs) This has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Thursday. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. Thank you for listening. (laughs) 